Well, good morning. And it is good to be together. I love Advent. Um, And so it is a thrill to be able to preach about hope with you this morning. Have you ever stopped to wonder uh, why during the Christmas season we go and we cut down trees and we bring them inside? Isn't that, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Like, why do we celebrate God coming down in flesh as a human, as one of us, by cutting down a tree and bringing it inside and stringing lights and decorating it? Like, that's a little strange and unusual. Uh, the, the Christmas tree tradition uh, began uh, a long time ago because evergreen trees remain evergreen uh, when everything else dies in the dark winter. And so it was this long-term, long-time symbol of hope in the midst of death, of hope in the midst of a dark, depressing winter. And in the 1500s, Uh, uh, The great reformer, Martin Luther, was walking home from church one evening, and he looked up through the trees on his way home, and he saw the stars twinkling through the evergreen trees up above and had this idea to go home, and he found ways to mount candles, sounds dangerous to me, to mount candles on the evergreen trees Uh, because the tree remained evergreen and was a reminder and a symbol of life in the midst of death and that we are called to be the light of the world as Christ was the light of the world. And so our Christmas trees preach a silent sermon to us whenever we see them if only we understand the symbolism. It is a silent sermon of hope, isn't it? And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Would you bow in prayer with me as we lean into God's word? Let's pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for hope. And Lord, we need it. We need hope that is anchored in something beyond ourselves and something that is greater than our own power to deliver. And you have provided for everything that we need. That our hope is Jesus. And so I pray that we would be thrilled by hope not in a sensationalistic or emotional hype kind of way, but to the deep core of who we are and of how we view the world. Father, that we would be thrilled by hope, whose name is Jesus Christ. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Did you know that the first time the gospel was preached in the Bible was in Genesis? The first time the gospel was preached in the Bible 
was way back from the very first moment that it was needed. And that's where we're going to start in our survey throughout the Bible of what does the Bible say about hope. So if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, which starts in my Bible with the caption of the temptation and the fall. And then the next caption says sin's consequences. And even within the very moment that Adam and Eve fell into sin, from the very moment that humanity received the curse of sin and death, there was the gospel. Genesis 3, 14 and 15 says this. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So when God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden to work and to worship as his representatives on earth, they decided to serve their own agendas instead. And don't we do the same? This is how sin works. This is the nature of sin. Right? Follow your heart. You do you. No one's going to tell me what to do or what to think or what to feel. This is Temptation, this is sin from day one till today. But the same way that the U.S. ambassador to Brazil or any other country serves on behalf of the United States government, they do not have the authority to just say what they want. They don't have the freedom to just give their opinion. In the same way that we as image bearers of God, distinct from other creatures of creation, we were given the honor and the responsibility to rule on the earth and to take care of it as his stewards. His command, God's instructions to Adam... In Genesis 2, 16 and 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, you are, free from, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat of it, you will certainly die. But like every child who's told, don't touch that, what do you do? And since that day, all creation has borne the curse of sin. God is just and righteous and holy. And he can't just overlook sin any more than a good and just judge can just ignore a guilty defendant's offense and crime. You wouldn't do that when your children 
rebel at home. You wouldn't do that in school when your students reject their teacher's authority. You can't do that at work when employees ignore their boss's direction and do their own things instead. God's curse affected change, real change, in every fabric of creation. Death crept in like a terminal cancer that wreaks pain and suffering that leads to death. Where humanity knew immortality and perfect intimacy with God, now we experience the curse of death and suspicion. From there, the effects of sin would continue to bring death. Literal, physical, eventual death, spiritual death, and relational death between people as well. But God has never left humanity without hope. We have never been without hope. Even in the middle of God's righteous curse on the man, on the woman, and on the serpent, God promised hope. God delivered the gospel. This first preaching of the gospel began with the unfolding of salvation history. Just as Adam and Eve's death wasn't immediate, neither was their salvation. Consider the long story of God's promise. Abraham received a calling to go where the Lord would direct him with a promise that all people of the earth would be blessed through you. And so God made Abraham the father of Israel. And Israel began to grow and grow and grow until, long story short, they found themselves as slaves in Egypt, still longing for hope and deliverance. Enter Moses, who God used to deliver Israel from slavery and captivity into freedom. God silently working behind the scenes, even while they were in slavery, to multiply them and multiply them and make Abraham a great nation, though in slavery, setting the stage for God's deliverance into the promised land. And he gave Moses the law, God's commandments for Israel, so they would know how to live, how to worship, and how to receive forgiveness for their sin when they have not worshipped faithfully or kept God's commandments. And then the prophets. The prophets were preachers who acted as covenant lawyers, who reminded Israel about God's promises and commands to them. They would preach against the sin and faithlessness of their day, and they would call Israel to confess their sin and to repent, to turn away from their sin and to honor the Lord with faithful obedience. Through the writings of the prophets, we hear them talking about this coming Savior, about this Messiah, 
the anointed one who would come one day as the great prophet, priest, king to fulfill all of God's promises to all of God's people. The Savior, Messiah. And he would lead Abraham's children as a greater Moses into a greater promised land where in this new Eden, the serpent would no longer tempt or deceive. And sometimes we forget that Israel waited a long time. Because for us, we just flip the page, or maybe a few pages, and with every flip, that can be hundreds of years of silence, of hoping, of Advent. This, Genesis 3, is an Advent passage at the very beginning of your Bible. We were under the curse because God is a holy God who does not turn a blind eye to evil. He does not turn a blind eye to suffering. And while the serpent has struck our heel, the Son of Man the Son of God, came at the first advent on Christmas Day through the cradle of the manger and he crushed the head of the serpent. Notice the juxtaposition between the bottom, most part of your body, and the top. Who gets what? So yes, there is suffering There is a very real need for hope in this life, isn't there? I think this year, 2020, has definitely taught us that. But we are always people of hope. We have hope in the darkness. Isaiah 9-2 gives us this promise that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light a light that has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And isn't it true that when we're walking in darkness, we don't always know it? Now, sometimes I hear people um, talking about non-Christians like they're just blind and lost and sad and without hope in this world. And then I think about my non-Christian friends and they think they're fine, don't they? Like they don't fit the stereotype for the most part of what sometimes we hear people saying when they talk about non-Christians in church. So what's up with that? Have you ever been outside when the sun goes down and then you come inside for a few minutes and then you look out the windows and you go, whoa, it's really dark out there. You were just out there and you didn't know that it was dark. Right? Am I the only one? Right? Or, or you're, you're working in the basement and you're doing stuff and I don't always turn lights on and your wife comes down and says, 
turn the light on. And then you, oh. You don't always know that you're walking in darkness until you behold the light. Has 2020 been a year for you when the darkness may have gotten so dark that the smallest glimpse of hope has opened your eyes to what you're missing? Or maybe for you, 2020 has been one of those years when some lights have just gone out in your life and it has been a really bad year. John chapter 1 gives us this promise. It says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world. And the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we observed his glory, the glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The people walking in darkness, have beheld a great light. And his name was Jesus. Have you beheld Jesus? Have you recognized him for who he is? The Bible says in John, 1 John 3.8, says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of of the devil. In other words, to stomp the serpent's head. Jesus is the long promised head crusher. And the serpent strikes our heel, but Jesus crushed his head through the cross. Our salvation has been secured. By Jesus, the light of the world, born in a manger, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross as our substitute, who took the wrath of God that I deserve, that you deserve, on himself, and he conquered sin and death in his bodily resurrection that Jesus actually rose from the grave. It wasn't a metaphorical, spiritual resurrection. Jesus actually rose from the grave. He killed death. Holiday dinners are always an interesting time, aren't they? A number of years ago, I got cornered at a family dinner by a friend who was visiting for the day. Um, and as the pastor, I, I try not to get myself into these types of arguments and everything that can sometimes happen. 
But sometimes you get cornered. And this person just kind of went on a tirade about how, you know, Christians always think that they know better and, you know, that they know all the answers and what about this and this and that and that and that and that and this and this and that. You've had those conversations. And I just said, well, what do you do with the resurrection? You know, I'm not trying to argue this and that and whatever, but what happens to Jesus' body? Because all they had to do was produce it. You know, they had an army guarding his tomb. Are you going to tell me the fishermen came and beat up the army or bribed them off knowing that the army would be put to death for not protecting their charge? What happened to the body? Just answer that and you can ruin my faith. Right? That Jesus conquered sin and death. This is a historical event. Our hope is not in a set of philosophical principles. Our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our hope. He came to destroy the work of the devil as the light of the world and to give hope and life. And our hope is not only in the first advent, but just as much in Christ's second when he returns and finishes the gospel. Have you ever stopped to think about the reality that you are still living in the midst of the unfolding gospel? Our salvation has been secured, and in some ways I see it, but our faith has not yet become sight. That Jesus will return and the gospel will be visible and experienced in all of its glorious fullness. And the suffering that drives us to hope, we won't need hope anymore. Think about that. We'll be hopeless. Because we'll have the treasure of heaven in our midst. And so we live with an eternally secure hope. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. We read this a few weeks ago as we have been reading through Hebrews during our worship services. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Christian's sure and steadfast anchor of the soul is hooked around the foot of the cross. I I love that visualization. 
that when life gets out of control and when the storms of life are threatening to capsize, the Christian is held by an anchor around the foot of the cross. And so what good is hope When life punches you in the face, what do you do? How do you respond? If you believe that what is coming ahead down the road for you is a life of suffering, there's no hope except what you can build for yourself, then you're going to respond on your own power and in your own strength. But if you believe that hope comes from God. And if you believe that Jesus rose from the grave, then you will return to, and that he will return to finish the work of salvation. Then when someone you love is in the hospital, or you get cut from the team, or your friends stab you in the back, when you lose your job, when you struggle with crippling anxiety or loneliness, then you are thrilled by hope because you know the future is as bright as the promises of God and that God has already secured the victory. There's no three-step plan for how to live with perfect hope, but we carry it in our hearts and in our soul because even though we don't know the future, we've read the final page. And Jesus wins. I think there are three general postures that many of us could fill today. And we'll close with this. Some of us are thrilled by hope. And this is what we've been talking about. That the resurrection and return of Jesus is your anchor in the midst of suffering. Some of us have been cast into despair. That where you, you've lost sight of hope. Or your hope is anchored into something that's not very secure. I read somewhere that our hope is only as secure as the object to which it's tied. So if my hope is in myself and my strength and my wisdom and my success, that's a very fragile hope, isn't it? And it can easily lead to despair. Or the third posture is that we can be distracted into boredom. You're not thrilled by hope. And you're not cast into despair. You're just kind of meh. Okay. You're just glazed over by Netflix, social media, or Hallmark movies. And it's easy to blame this on our phones and social media. This is not a generational thing. This is any and every one of us. So don't go thinking about who in your family or who in your life fits into what category. Think about yourself. Are you thrilled by hope? 
Have you been cast into despair? Or are you distracted into boredom with life, with God, with faith? You can have hope again. I cannot think of any other year when we've needed the message of Advent more. To settle into a spirit of waiting. Waiting for deliverance. Remembering the ways that God has always anchored his children. And a hope that is secured around the foot of the cross. So as you buy gifts and decorate trees and bake cookies and hang your Christmas lights... Just slow down a little bit this season. In the midst of the other stuff that's going on, remember the cause of your hope, both advents of Jesus, the light that has come into the world, and the hope that is secured and will be delivered when he returns. And if this is a day for you to confess your spiritual darkness, any of us pastors would be delighted to talk with you, to pray with you. If a friend invited you this morning, or if you're watching online, would you reach out to us? Contact us. Use the contact cards online to make contact so we can talk with you, so we can minister to you, so we can pray together, so you can experience the hope of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we ask that we would be thrilled by hope once again. Lord, not in a shallow way, but in a rich and abiding sense of confidence that you will deliver everything that you have promised. So, Father, lead us out of despair and lead us out of boredom and into a place where we can see and recognize the deliverance of the cross, that Jesus Christ is the light of the world who has come into the darkness so that we could have life and hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.